peoples of the worldwide federated internet, what's good? I've been studying the book of Acts, as I said some days ago, about a week ago, trying to get my head wrapped around all of the events, what was going on, who is Theophilus. I've been doing a lot of looking into that. Not that I found anything necessarily concrete, and I'm not even saying that that's something that was a necessity to do. I try to make a practice when I'm reading my Bible to see, okay, Who's the audience? Who's being written to? Because sometime that might give you maybe a slightly better understanding of the subject being covered. If you know who the book was written to as as far as its original audience, we know everything we have in the scripture is to all of us. But in its original writing, original penning, it was to a specific audience at that time, even though it was to be disseminated and read by all of us who have believed the gospel and broken down and understood. But I think you kind of get what I'm get what I'm getting at here. So without further ado, the book of Acts chapter one, let's get into this. So I'm going to return to the first few verses. I know on the video I did my intro to the book of Acts. I went over these verses, but I want to kind of want to go over them again because I took some notes this time and there's there's some different things that I've been looking into and we'll get into that. The former treaties I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And there is there's always some degree of debate, especially when you're reading the Bible about who did what, um, why this was done, who wrote this book and the book of Acts is no different. There's always debate. People, you know, believe, oh, it's not really written by Luke. It was written by somebody else. If you read the gospel of Luke, then this statement right here makes more sense. And there's something small, and I'm pretty sure you probably paid attention to it and maybe notice, but there's something I didn't notice that you will find in the gospel of Luke said to Theophilus that actually, actually gives you more context clues as to what was going on and why exactly it is that this was written to Theophilus. So I'm going to get into a little bit of that. But again, we see that he wrote some things, and I said this before my other intro video, he wrote some things to Theophilus about what the Lord Jesus Christ did um, all the way up up until the time he was crucified, buried, and resurrected, and that's what he's getting at here in this. So Theophilus, now I don't know that this matters, and I'm not telling you that this matters. 
sometimes I think maybe we stretch things a little farther than the Bible shows. So a lot of times when I look up the the definitions of names, that is not me saying that this definitely matters. And you have to look up the definition of these names because this may just be something that is something I'm thinking about that really has nothing to do with the topic at hand. But the name Theophilus, which believe it or not, and these are things as I'm researching, looking into studying the book of Acts that I did not know were debates. There is a debate whether Luke is talking to an actual person or if this uh, name Theophilus is a generic title. I personally believe he's talking to an actual person, but that name Theophilus is a combination of two Greek words, Theos, which means a deity, uh, the supreme divinity, and Philos, which means dear friend, uh, actively fond, that is friendly. And some people say and believe that this name means lover of God. Now, I'm no, I'm definitely no student of Greek. I don't speak Greek, but just looking up the word and finding the two root words that make up this name, I would be more inclined to believe that this name means friend of God or a friend of God. Now, whether he's writing to a an actual person or if this is just a title meant meant to be given to a group, the group who are the friends of God, either one of those things could possibly be true. Like I said, I lean more toward this is an actual person and I'll give some more reasoning for that as I move on. Verse two, until the day in which he was taken up after that, he taught, uh, he taught after that, he, excuse me, through the Holy ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen And this is, of course, um, referencing the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, uh, seen of the apostles, giving them instructions, teaching them things. I I got a comment about that, but I'm going to I'm going to save that comment for later because this was something I thought as I was reading through all of this. And you see, it says that he gave them commandments through the Holy Ghost. So. I believe Luke is making reference to the things they did after the Holy Ghost had come unto them. Because if you know, I'm going to circle back here to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 49. This is the instructions that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the apostles And behold, I send the promise of the father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. I really believe this statement right here matters a lot. And I'm going to explain in a little bit why I think that matters. He wanted them to stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave until the Holy Spirit is come upon you. Now, you will know that when you if you read through the book of Acts, like if you just sit down and read through the whole book, you will see 
that, yo, these cats were super bold. And that's not an accident. Would they have been that bold had they not had the Holy Spirit of God? I don't think so. And I think this is one of the reasons they were told to wait until this event happens. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm kind of looking through my notes because, like I said, I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to get back to taking notes, especially going through the book of Acts, because I don't want to miss anything that I'm thinking as I'm going through this through this book. And I don't really want to wing it. So verse three. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, this is something that I mentioned also in the last video when I was going over the intro, this matter of the 40 days. And coincidentally, there's other very uh, monumental and integral things that happened in the Bible that happened to have this 40 day uh, a time period attached to those as well. And I do not believe that this is completely an accident. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I have the exact understanding of how, how and why this matters or if it even does matter. So we see in Genesis chapter seven, uh, in verse 12, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, could all of these things be foretelling of the Lord Jesus Christ? They very well could be. And I'm not saying that that is exactly what it is, but I think these events that I'm going to point out happening in 40 days like this, it could be a coincidence. Again, I don't want to stretch the scripture and try to make the scripture say something. That's why I said I'm, I, I don't know if this is connected, but it's something that I thought about. So I'm just pointing these things out. Exodus chapter 24, verse 18. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. And another place where this matter of, of 40 days and nights came to play is the gospel of Luke chapter four. And I'll read verse one and two. Uh, let's see. And Jesus being full of the Holy ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil, 40 days tempted. That's so interesting. And in those days he did not, uh, he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. So the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness, fasting 40 days, tempt or tempted of the devil, 40 days in a wilderness. I, what the exact significance of these things are, I cannot say I, I don't have that readily available. I think I just point out some things that I'm thinking. So these are just kind of like a rough sketch of my thoughts. It's not a, a real well-formed idea. Moses going up to the Mount talking with God for 40 days. Now, what exactly was going on up there? 
I'll tell you what I personally believe. I'm not telling you that this is exactly what happened. I believe Moses got the the Genesis account while he was up there talking to God from creation all the way to the the moment they were in. I think God gave him an accurate accounting of creation. Of course, we know Moses wrote the first five books. He was the 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 utensil God used to pin down the first five books of the Bible. And I believe when Moses was up there for 40 days, that's what was happening. God was laying a bunch of things down and also giving him the uh, Genesis account. And I think that matters. It's, it's kind of interesting that Moses was talking with God for, for 40 days, whatever it was. Maybe it wasn't that, but whatever it was. And the Lord Jesus Christ was both fasting and tempted by the devil for 40 days. And also the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to his disciples, his followers, after he was raised for 40 days. And in my mind and my humble opinion, there might be some connection that I'm missing that I don't yet understand. And here's something that I thought about. It, it, it is. It is. I think it's common for us to believe that the devil, Satan, that wicked one, understands a lot more than he actually understands. Right. Because had he known what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do, clearly Satan would would not have uh, attempted Judas to sell out the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, these are these are things that I do not think would have happened. Uh, the rulers of this world, the people who were in power, would not have been tempted to put him to death. And I think one of the main reasons this was carried out, God's plan, obviously, and the devil really didn't understand what was going on. Here's another thing. Now, I I understand that when the Lord Jesus Christ went to cast out some some devils, they knew who he was and they asked, was he he there to torment them before the time? So. There, there's something that these beings understood what exactly they understood and how much they understood. I don't know, but I think it's I think it's safe to say the the devil, Satan, making an attempt to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ um, after, you know, his fasting, being in the wilderness. Clearly, there's things about the Lord Jesus Christ that Satan did not understand and did not get. He did not know who he was. The the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I don't think that was something that Satan understood. In my humble opinion, I could be mistaken. Now, getting back to the book of Acts, I want to read something. And this is actually found in the Gospel of Luke chapter one. And I think it gives us some context clues for why the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were written. Now we know these things are inspired by God written down for us to read. But in the moment, in the time, 
what what Luke understood of what he was doing, I think there's a a reason that's in here that I missed. So in the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse one through four, the Bible says, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. So Lucas first saying, yo, people have set out right for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of the things which we uh, which are most surely believed among us. People have declared these things. They have set out and declared what the believers at this time held to as truth. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So he's letting it be known to who he's talking to. And we're about to see that, yo, these people are eyewitnesses. Right? This is not secondhand information. We can trust the information that we were given. These people were there and they saw with their own eyes. In verse three. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Now, again, there's debate about who is Theophilus. There's some who believe because of that statement right there, most excellent Theophilus, that he was maybe some kind of high up figure in Rome. Uh, There are those who believe he funded Luke's research because Luke, in my humble opinion, reading through everything that he wrote, he took painstaking effort to investigate, to talk to as many people as possible to get the details as accurate as he possibly could. And I believe the details are dead accurate. And I believe he, he, compiled all this information, got all all of this together. And the thought is that Theophilus was some high figure, high Roman figure, Gentile who funded Luke's research effort. That may be true. I don't know that to be true, but this title kind of gives the impression that Theophilus is not just your everyday average ordinary, ordinary citizen. So Luke said he had a more perfect understanding. Well, what does that mean? So uh, that word perfect, it means to complete, uh, to do or make through, to carry to the end, finished, complete, consummate, not defective, having all that is requisite. So the knowledge that Luke had about the events and things that played out was complete and total. He had I believe at this point he had spoken with enough eyewitnesses. He had he had spoken with enough of these people to to hear all of the accounts and know, Okay, I have a complete picture of everything that happened. And that's what he's telling to Theophilus. I have a complete picture. But here's the kicker. This is what I miss in verse four, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Theophilus is someone who's be who's being instructed in righteousness. He is being discipled. Could it be 
and and this is not something I came up with just in doing my research. This is something that other people have brought up. And I think it's plausible that Theophilus believed the gospel, heard the testimony of people and gathered up Luke and said, Luke, you have some skills. Uh, you have some knowledge in the area of, of, of history and you have some kind of investigative ability. I, I, I think that was something maybe that Luke was known for. And so because of that, I'm going to commission you to look into all of these things that we believe. Take down as much notes as you possibly can. Pin these things down and report back to me. And it it could very well be that we not only got the gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts, because there was a young believer that wanted to hear from the eyewitnesses and wanted to have these things written down so he could read about these things. And coincidentally, we also reap the benefits of reading about these things. And there is a thought that he commissioned this because he wanted it to be shared with all of the body at that time. Very possible. Like I said, these are all theories that are thrown out there may or may not be true. I'm not going to say they're irrelevant, but they're not integral to you necessarily understanding these books. Although I do think it is important and maybe helpful to know the 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 story behind uh, certain things and Theophilus. It's interesting. It's one of those things that may help you. Verse four and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which uh, which saith he ye have heard of me. So again, this was the Lord Jesus Christ telling them to tarry, stay, wait right there in Jerusalem. Do not leave until the comforter is come now. I think, as I said earlier, the reason is if you read through the book of Acts, you can see the transition. You can see the difference. You can see that when a Holy Spirit is come, people are bold and and the persecution that they faced at this time. Yo, this wasn't this wasn't normal persecution. This wasn't just, oh, you know, people don't like what I say. Oh, they don't want me to say this. Oh, they have some mean things to say. People were getting fed to lions, heads chopped off, burned at the stake, crucified like people were literally putting their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God is what provides people that boldness. I don't think it's within our own power. And I take that from the book of let me see first john chapter four and verse four let me make sure i got the right verse okay here it goes ye are of god little children and have overcome the world because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world you see this is how the world is overcome it's not overcome by my own power it's not overcome. It's not overcome by my own efforts. It's not overcome by sheer will. These things 
We overcome the things in the world. We are bold because the spirit of God. And I believe this is the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples, sit here, park it for a second and wait. The comforter is going to come. When I send a comforter, you'll go out. And we know there are several things that came as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ um, telling them to wait and the comforter which is the Holy spirit coming down. And there's a lot of things that these men did as a result of that. And he goes on to say for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy ghost many days hence. And of course, so it's, it's crazy. And it's interesting that the different things that is believed about the baptism of the Holy spirit and I want to get into that maybe a little more in the next video, because reading through the book of Acts and seeing verses like this gives critical context that that's the that's the beauty of this book. And I believe that's the thing that's often missed by many people. The book of Acts offers so many great context clues for different doctrinal issues and uh, just different different matters of faith in general because you have a very good reference point. You see exactly how these things played out now. Th- that doesn't mean that everything that happened in the book of Acts will happen now, but when you couple Acts, as I said before, with the epistles, you kind of get a better idea of what's going down and hopefully, Lord willing, in The next video I do, if God allows, I will go over this matter of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what I will do is I will not I'll do my best to not just pull things out of thin air. I'm going along with the context I have in the book of Acts. So this will not be arbitrary. The book of Acts has something to say. We actually, this is the thing. This is the beauty of the book of Acts. We see these things that we hear about happen. So when we see these things happen, like baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned and we see it happen. So we get a better idea of, oh, this is what this actually means. Because I see how this is broke down in the epistles and I see it happen. I can put those things together and get a better idea. And I think that's always a good practice using the scripture, comparing the scripture with the scripture instead of just pulling things out of thin air. Y'all know what it is. Stay frosty, people.